This episode is brought to you by KJK. Tired of the billable hour? KJK has a solution. The KJK GC Advantage program offers businesses comprehensive legal services in the areas of employment, corporate services, real estate, trademark, intellectual property, and estate planning, all for a set monthly fee. KJK serves as their clients' partners in business, not just their lawyers. Along with cost certainty and predictability, the KJK GC Advantage program gives clients peace of mind, knowing their projects will be handled quickly and efficiently, maximizing the return on investment on their legal spend. So don't go it alone. Let KJK help. Learn more by visiting KJK.com. Six One Four Startups Nation, welcome to another episode of the Six One Four Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, your host. And what is this thing, Web Three? Well, if you're confused, I'm just as confused as you, which is why I invited my very special guest tonight, Mr. Ryan Hale, to talk all things Web Three, crypto, and metaverse. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Elio. It's really a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. Uh, and you and I kind of um, connected while we were out and about at different events in the community. Uh, and we, you know, one of our very opening conversations was about all the things that are happening in the metaverse and what a wonderful opportunity it re- represents for founders, people who might be interested in building in the metaverse, and then for the rest of us, whether we're founders or not, and how the, the metaverse might uh, impact our lives. But I like to always start by getting to know my guest a little bit better. So who is Ryan Hale and how did you come to live in Columbus, Ohio? Yeah. Okay. So um, thank you for that question uh, to break the ice. Um, so I am an artist and an art collector and an interactive designer. And I like to think of myself as an investor and an entrepreneur. Um, I moved here in 2003 to attend Ohio State, and I finished up in 2007 with a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and I studied art and technology. Um, And then I completed, after that, a Master's of Fine Arts in design, with my emphasis was on interactive media um, and animation. Um, Over the last decade, I've been working on teams of civil industrial and mechanical engineers and architects, um, supporting them with, you know, what I've learned over the years in college. Um, And in 2020, I founded a digital assets startup studio with my friend Ben Horning, um, where we build, uh, you know, content in Metaverse and we experiment with solutions uh, related to decentralized ID and we have a proof of stake facility too, which we can discuss later on. But um, that's kind of where I've been yeah. the past couple of decades. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you said uh, fine arts, right? And, and, and so, why do you think that background really, or how are you using that background now as you think about the metaverse? Because it's one of those things you hear a lot of times, like. Hey, why did you study X, Y, and Z? There, there aren't any applications in this world. But I feel very much like the the metaverse or blockchain or uh, in the world of N- NFTs, fine arts may play a role. How are you using that background to inform the way you design or inform the way that you you think about uh, uh, building the future? 
So a lot of it, for specifically for Metaverse, a lot of it was I already had a background in 3D modeling and animation. So a lot of what we're when we're building things, we're we're using that. Um, additionally, we started out as gallerists in the Metaverse, so we we're creating you know big virtual galleries um, in these specific areas, um, and. It, there's a level of curation that was involved in understanding art and knowing it, and knowing what you know I thought was good and what I thought other people would enjoy is something that you know having the back the arts background helped me um, build those galleries with art that I enjoyed and um, and I know how to talk to artists because I am one. Um, so I, as far as um, Web3 goes and, and even NFTs and cryptocurrency. I started learning about that in 2017, early on before I think Bitcoin was like $1,000 or something. And that was a kind of different path than understanding art because it's very financial and it's very technical. So over the years, I think, you know, five or six years I've been involved, the two have kind of merged, which has been really interesting. Um, over the past years, as NFTs came along, it's been it's been nice to see, you know, the financial, and then it become more than just finance. It became a place for artists to gain a wider audience. So, um, <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, you, you know, when you say uh, Bitcoin was a thousand dollars. One of the first thing that the mind does because of how this technology is talked about now in the financial media and just on social media is, man, did you buy Bitcoin? Right. But at a thousand dollars or whatever. Right. Oh, damn, I missed it when it was 15 cents or whatever. But I don't think that's really where the focus of this technology or at least of this conversation really needs to be. I think if we can set aside the price of assets and talk about the value of the technology itself, I think we might do ourselves well. And so, you know, there are a lot of terms just in this brief conversation that you've already touched on that a lot of people might not be familiar with. But the question I have is just start me off with what is the blockchain, right? And how did the emergence of that very technology launch what we're now calling Web3? Yeah, I, and thank you for I, I use the price as like a kind of a framework for understanding a time period. Because yeah, there's price volatility and price is not to most in this space, like unless you're a trader, uh, price really isn't that interesting. Um, and so I would like to preface this with the fact that these are still experimental technologies. There's, this is not, but Bitcoin is 14 years old and uh, Ethereum, another blockchain is about seven years old. Um, mainly the thing about these these uh, assets is that they allow you to custody uh, your wealth on your own, meaning um, you can hold your private keys. The keys are what unlock the uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum. And so from kind of a rudimentary standpoint, um, without getting into too much, uh, what Bitcoin did was solve what's called the Byzantine generals problem, which is basically a trust issue. It's you have several generals around a, a castle and they're all trying to attack that castle. Well, if one doesn't um, go forth and attack and the other three do, they all lose. So it's a trust issue. So they all three, 
all the all the generals have to trust each other as they're going to attack. So that's kind of what the the problem that Bitcoin solved was trust. I can trust that if you send the cryptocurrency to my address, it will it will get there, and that's it. There's there's no need, there's no need to have any trust um, with it. So it's a trustless. It says don't trust but verify. So you can verify on the blockchain that. Yeah, and so the, kind of the first time I really uh, started to hear this word blockchain was around the 20, 2008 financial crisis. And when you talk about a crisis of confidence, a crisis of trust, Byzantine generals all around, some of those generals being bailed out, um, uh, my understanding was that there started to be talk of um, an, a, a parallel, right, another way of um, – uh, uh, of, of transacting, right? Which has been the major uh, first problem. It felt like uh, blockchain was designed to actually solve. But how does having that uh, distributed ledger, right? That, that whole process of establishing trust for everybody in the system actually work? What I understand is that these are smart contracts. So what is a smart contract? Okay, so... Because of Bitcoin, some other developers created something called Ethereum. Um, and what Ethereum does is it, it creates a layer of, um, of code and it has functions that automatically work um, given a certain stimuli, right? So um, smart contracts are also pretty complicated to explain. Uh, I would say... For instance, like a decentralized finance primitive is something that like I can say so two people have tokens they want to trade. Like I want to trade Ethereum for a USD peg stable coin. Well, there, how do I do that without having an intermediary like bank do it? Well, a smart contract will allow you to put your Ethereum in and then it will spit out the stable coins. So you can effectively transact and make a trade. So the smart contract says if you put in this much, then it releases this much into your wallet. So you have your own wallet and that's interacting with the smart contract. So there's no need for trust um, in that. You need to trust that the, car the contract has been properly audited, um, but the, the really um, simple contracts that have like less than 60 lines of code are pretty safe. Um, the more complex contracts actually are contracts that are talking to other contracts. So it gets, it gets pretty complicated. Um, but, you know, the thing is, Bitcoin never really had smart contracts built on it that were, you know, well, like, used a lot. So a lot of this is activity is going over to Ethereum. Um, okay. Does that answer your so, question? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working on it. I'm getting there, yeah, man. And, and you're sure. helping me get there. So, yeah. so at the baseline, there's this parallel financial um, uh, system, right? For lack of a better term, there's a, a, yes. a parallel way of processing transactions without a bank as an intermediary. But the technology at the base of that system provides us more complex ways uh, of addressing other problems, not maybe more complex ways, but it has uh, other options other than just this ability to transact 
to have financial transactions without a bank, which is why you're saying other things have been built on top of it. I feel like that entire ecosystem from the financial portion of it being at the base and then all of these other things being built on top of it is what we are terming or what people are terming Web3. Am I accurate in making that assertion? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a lot of things that are becoming what we're looking at as Web3, but I think a lot of it does start with um, the base intermediary or the base level, let's say, for instance, the Ethereum network, which is basically just software running, you know, all over the world. Um, but in order to in order to really understand what Web3 is, I think we have to look at how we give our data away to big companies. I think that if you look at it as like you have a bank and you trust the bank, so you deposit your money in it, and then you have that system. And then you also have a system where uh, you can transact P2P, like person to person. So I could send you Ethereum right to your wallet. You get it immediately. We could do it during this time, right? Um, in the same sense, Web3 is looking to decentralize your data, your personal data, instead of having it um, be held by Google and Apple and a lot of these big companies that have just mountains of your data. They know everything about you. So more or less, Web3 is a push to decentralize um, you when you when you go onto the internet. Okay, so decentralize me. Okay, I, li I like that, right? I feel like the molecules of me are exploding, but that is exactly what is happening in cyberspace. My Absolutely. identity is fragmented and owned to a certain extent by many companies. So the virtual me, the me in cyberspace, right, is also, it feels very much like in Web3 uh, Web as an entity, a person. Right. And, and I'm in this person uh, in cyberspace is transacting. Right. Is acting in this world. So my question to you now is, why should I care? Right. Why the decentralization of this cyber identity of mine? Why should that be important to me? And how does Web3 actually help me to decentralize? It's a great question. Um... So, for instance, you're a content creator, and I am as well. So when we're creating content, um, how much of a cut gets taken out? <laughs> That's why it matters. Because, for instance, Apple, we just found out today, Apple takes 30% for listing their uh, apps on their app store. So, I, you know, if with the idea of Web3, what we're trying to move to is that Apple takes 0%. Um, and you, the content creator, gets the reward for doing the content, for creating the content. Um, so, for instance, one of the projects I'm working on, we create, you know, virtual gallery, uh, and we get to keep all of the proceeds. Um, no one has, like, we own the virtual property, we own the IP, we own the tech stack, and no one gets to take any of that from us. Well, within reason. I mean, you can't just stop us from what, what we're doing. Um, so, does that make sense? <laughs> no. Now you're now you're talking. You know, in my world, right? I'm a content creator. Mm -hmm. Somebody else taking a cut. 
I want to be able to transact directly with my um, with my audience, right? The folks yeah. who I call the six one four startup citizens. Now that is appealing, right? But why has that simple appeal been made so complicated? <laughs> and what is being front run as the value proposition is not that. If I was uh, the marketing manager for crypto or the marketing manager for blockchain or for smart contracts or whatever the basic description of what we're talking about, Web3, mm -hmm. what I would say very easily is that the, the promise of Web3 is that one day we can all transact with each other, whether it's sending money back and forth or selling products to each other without a middleman, right? That would be... What like it would break it down for everybody and get everybody excited about the promise of Web3. Yeah. Where I think we all exist is this. Nobody really gets this. A few people get it. And the fact that only a few people get it, they're using it as a way of extracting value from the rest of us. Right. Yeah. Why do you think the this very simple message that I've now uncovered and is going to be my mantra for promoting Web3 going forward isn't the general understanding of the promise of this technology, but it's some, you know, it's going to disrupt financial services. I could make a ton of money, NFT, 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 crypto, crypto, crypto. Why do you think that message isn't getting out that I feel would be much more appealing and kind of relatable to the general public? I mean, I don't want to point fingers, but I would tend to think it's the media narratives are, they just, I don't think they're really interested in, discussing how this stuff actually works. They're more interested in what gets clicked, which is the price and uh, extreme valuations for JPEGs, <laughs> which, I mean, I love art. And I saw the whole NFT craze go and, you know, it's not, NFTs aren't, they're not profile pictures. They're not like Ford API Club. That is a subsection of it. Um, NFT actually stands for non-fungible token, which means fungibility is like a uh, dollar. If I give you a dollar and you give me a dollar, they're both fungible. It's a fungible. You can trade one for another. Non-fungible means if I have one object, there's no other like it. It's a one of a kind. Um, so I think a lot of people, you know, they're missing what this actual, actually what this technology does. And I think most of it is due to the news media cycle um, that really is only interested in the price, which is one of the least interesting things um, about this whole, this whole process. If I may, I would like to read something that I found today. Uh, and it's okay. So if you had to articulate to a group of a hundred of the world's top asset managers, why crypto would be a $10 trillion asset class, what would you say? So this individual on Twitter wrote, there will be a permissionless alternative to every single significant financial and non-financial app in the world. So permissionless is the cure. These apps will be coordinated, incentivized, governed, pay for work, accrue value, and allow for broad versus central permissionless ownership via tokens, which are far more powerful an instrument of value than they are of equity. As a result, massive value accrued to these tokens, and in some cases to equity of entities and infrastructure 
affiliated with enabling these networks. That value will far exceed 10 trillion based on the total market for these applications in an increasingly authoritarian, intrusive, digital, connected, and monopolistic world that needs a countervailing option. I couldn't have put it better myself. I'm not as smart as this individual who wrote this. But basically what they're saying is if we look at um, if we look at tokens, there's different types of tokens. Some uh, you can use to vote on something. Some you can use to send money. Um, they will start to accrue value based on the fact that they're permissionless. Um, and I don't know. I, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, listen, and, and, that, and that's where I feel like there is a, there are a class of people who are your diehard right, who believe in this technology. And then layered on top of that is a very, very vocal and very loud um, uh, segment of this market that happens to own the broadcast channels, whatever the, those may be. It may be the, the, the talking heads on t television or the, the, the crypto whales or people who have uh, large platforms on Twitter, and they tend to dominate the conversation. And like you said, what they're fixated on is price and the value of these assets and the pump and dump and all of these things that we're familiar with. But what I'm hearing from you is that you're a true believer in this technology. And fundamentally, what you want to see this technology do is deliver on that promise of decentralization where you and I can trade without a middle person. What I want to do is get into how we do that or how the technology facilitates that in a world without all the noise. So uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. You are listening to my conversation with Ryan Hale. We're going deep, right? In the blockchain, smart contracts, Web3, and the metaverse. Hang in there with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Support for the 614 Startups Podcast comes from Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. This episode is brought to you by RevOne. RevOne's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with RevOne connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. Get started with RevOne Startup Studio by visiting RevOneVentures.com to learn more. Again, the website is RevOneVentures.com. Dot com. 614 Startups Nation, welcome back to the 614 Startups Podcast. I am continuing my conversation with my very special guest, Mr. Ryan Hale. And now we're going to jump into the deep end of the pool. We're going to talk about the metaverse. So, Ryan, what is the metaverse and what excites you most about the potential for the metaverse? Um, so the metaverse is kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a meeting space in virtual it's a virtual meeting space. It's what we're used to right now with uh, websites as we go to them and they're flat. 
um, and they have the information, some interactivity in most cases. Um, but what the metaverse offers is a 3D digital twin of the real space. Um, that's the best way I could describe it. The thing that I think most people realize is that, or don't realize, I'm sorry, is that um, you don't need to have any cryptocurrency in your wallet to get involved in these spaces. Um, when I say that, you, you can, of course, have crypto in your wallet and use it as an advanced user. But really, all you have to do to, to log in is, since the metaverse is like kind of a Web3 like application in some sense, um, you do need to have a digital wallet. So MetaMask is one example uh, of a digital wallet, and that runs Ethereum, um, which is the network. And it's also a blockchain and a cryptocurrency and so on. Um, so kind of like, I, I want to discuss kind of what got me started was back in, I think it was late 2020, my business partner came over, um, and he, he was talking about this virtual land called the central land. And I was like, that's crazy. And like, it was a huge mental hurdle trying to get over the concept of buying virtual property. Um, and I know some of our listeners might remember, uh, the run-up in prices where everyone was scrambling to get virtual land. Well, it, it, it was it was something that I hadn't really considered. And when we looked at it, we realized we were able to build whatever we wanted. And so, like I said, we started building these large virtual galleries and inviting artists to come and having shows and so on. So using my 3D background, I started to learn some code as well. And... Um, after that, uh, we kind of just started making content every week. So this is one thing that I see a lot of people, oh, the metaverse is empty. Oh, no one's using it. And it's like, well, there's different like websites that are metaverse. Like there's Decentraland is a website you go and it's a 3D world you can explore. Like this isn't new to us. Like anyone that's played video games or even my, you know, kid niece, she knows how to play Roblox and all this stuff. So it's not new in any sense. Um, what it allows is people like me to build stuff in it. So I can't, I could build in Minecraft, but you couldn't come into Minecraft with me and hang out with me, or maybe not, I don't use Minecraft. But um, the idea is that I can't build in Roblox and I can't build in, uh, I can't build on Activision's platform. I can't create like first person shooters at their level. So that's kind of what, I would kind of the overall term of like what metaverse is. Um, so two things. So two things real quick before I lose this train of thought. You okay. you mentioned having a, a wallet. Um, but when I see Bitcoin prices being what they are, Ethereum prices being what they are, I'm like, wait, I don't have money to go into the metaverse. What do I need to buy into this thing? So what is the purpose of the wallet actually, if it is not to actually hold tokens that have of value. So if I'm, am I buying into this thing? What goes into the wallet that now gives me access? Good question. Um, the wallet is used for holding uh, cryptocurrency, but it's also a string of characters that's an address. And that, that address is the address you own. So that's the public, the public address. Um, and we can talk about that more later. It's getting much more streamlined. But the public address also has a private key. And you don't give that out. That's kind of like your keys to your house. You don't give them away. Um, creating that wallet 
it serves a dual purpose. And the example that I'm giving, it, it is your login authentication. So when you go to Google and you log into Gmail, it's like, what's your authentication? What's your, you know, what's your password and username? So the wallet is the same thing. It creates an authentication key for you to get mm. in and enter into, um, into these platforms. But they do, they serve multiple purposes. A wallet is, is very useful. Okay. Okay. Let me stop you there. So I'm tracking okay. now. Okay. So I get my wallet. Okay. I have my address, 123 Main Street, Columbus, Ohio. That's my address. I'm just using that as an example, right? Sure. But to get into my house, you know, I have my keys, right, to get into my address. But what the metaverse is looking for is one, that I have an address and two, that I have a key. Now, what am I unlocking? Because what is this place that you're actually building in? And are there going to, is there going to be one metaverse like everybody builds in? Or is everybody building a separate platform where developers with different skill sets and different understanding of code and different languages are building different metaverses, for lack of a better term? Yeah, so the thing that gets you in is um, you sign a message with your wallet. So it's like, are you Elio Harmon? And you're like, yes, I am, because I signed this message. So you use your private keys to sign the message. It gets you in. It's like your password, essentially. You're saying you have a password. So think of Metaverse now in its current form as, I guess, Web, web 1, where you have several different websites, and they're all flat. But this is several different websites that are all 3D. And so I categorize these currently as three distinct types of metaverse. We have uh, social metaverse, gaming metaverse, and something I've been interested in lately is the industrial metaverse. Um, I know some of the larger consulting firms out there are writing really long papers about these three different things. Um, a social metaverse would be like Decentraland. You could go to Decentraland.org. Meta, Meta's Horizon Worlds is also a social metaverse where everybody gets together and, and literally we hang out and, you know, we have different like outfits we can have and like different emotes. Like you can have, like we create dancing emotes or, or like flying emotes. So people come in to our metaverse, they, they have wild, wacky costumes and it's, it's really creative. It's fun. Um, for a grown man saying this, I mean, it's, <laughs> we have fun with it. Um, a, a gaming metaverse would be like Roblox or Fortnite. Um, they're social in nature, but they, they also have walled gardens. And um, from what I understand, they don't allow outside users to build content. Uh, maybe wrong. I don't research enough on, on the gaming metaverses, but. Okay. And you say you're getting more interested in the industrial metaverse. So social yeah. metaverse, we get it, right? We, we kind of are doing it in a flat on a flat website on Instagram right now, but you know, you can see a future where Instagram or uh, meta as a, as a, as a group of companies creates a metaverse that keeps people insulated within their world, right? Which is what they yes. want to continue to do. Uh, and it could be more immersive on the gaming side, like Fortnite and some others. I'm sure EA sports is probably exploring uh, this, this world, right? Where it goes beyond the field. Right yes. into a whole world of of you being the athlete themselves yes. and playing out 
you know, the life of an athlete in a wider EA sports world. Yeah. Um, and, but what is this industrial metaverse that you're now getting interested in? So industrial metaverse is something I've recently read about. Um, so the car maker Renault, here's an example. Um, they announced they're building a digital twin of their production facilities, which is super cool. So instead of a simulation on a screen, they have their production facility to build cars. They're building it in 3D with working machines. So the machine breaks down. You have to walk up to it in your virtual world and fix it. You need to go in there and fix it and then get it back online. So they're simulating what real-world uh, uh, activities would look like as a digital twin. And to me, I'm, you know, thinking about a lot of things. And one of the things that definitely comes to mind is how we use our fossil fuel resources. So the reason I'm so interested in, in industrial metaverse is because I would like to see those, those industrial metaverse uses come to you know, remove waste and remove the use for fossil fuels, you know, as much as possible, right? Little things like that can do, like, math, can create massive, you know, uh, good good effort or, you know, but just they can be good. So, so, um, so follow me now and tell me if my imagination is equal to the potential of the metaverse. Let's say Renault builds their virtual factory and you go to Renault and say, Renault, I could make you the biggest car in the metaverse. Okay. So I want a contract to be the Renault dealer in the metaverse. Let's just, let's just, let's just play this out. There is a potential, right? Because Renault is moving forward faster than some others that you could set up a Renault dealership because there's no car dealership in the metaverse right now, comes off the production factory, comes to you, and you sell the Renault for tokens. Or you're a club owner, and your club is the craziest club in the metaverse, and here's the need now for money, for transaction in the metaverse. You as a creator have created value, People want to come to your club because it has the best music, the best DJs, etc. And now people can pay you to be the club of choice in the metaverse. Am I now starting to wrap my mind around it was flat before, but now we are now more uh, immersed in these virtual experiences? Yeah, a thousand percent. That's that's what the other component is, is that when you do want to get more advanced, you have the option to have. Uh, payment systems set up that are uh, permissionless. So, like, you want to go to my club, you, I, we could already build this right now. Like, this is already, like, people already build this. It's not hard to do, uh, relatively. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly the thing. The, the, the Internet has never had a native money layer. It's always had intermediaries. I mean, that's why PayPal is founded. That's why Stripe was founded. That's, I mean, think of every single pay, payment intermediary. Like, if you have a website, you can't just accept money. You have to use PayPal or Stripe. But with, with Ethereum, I mean, we get into this later, but Ethereum naming service has it set up to where I can create a name, let's say 614startups.eth, and then when I go to my wallet and I want to send you money, 
I just type in 614 startups and send you 0.1 ETH. You can send this stuff in fractions. You can buy it in fractions. Um, and it goes right to your wallet. Right. So okay. we're building all these things. And that's the layer on the internet for money. So, so how do we get the investment needed if so, pe so many people who currently thrive on the current system are going to be disintermediated, right? <laughs> Meaning, so, so yeah. how do you get yeah. these companies whose entire business model is built on this economy of centralization to invest in building platforms of decentralization? Um, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't had the investment round, so I, I don't know. Um, that's a tough question. I, it's going to be most of the investors that are investing in this space are, are mostly they're tech forward. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you, let's, let's throw out Apple, for example. Apple, I love you. Big shout out. You can always sponsor the show. Okay. I don't yeah, want to just sure. intermediate you. Okay. No, You're 30% on apps. <laughs> you can tell the truth. <laughs> what I mean, I'm saying is, truth, you know? yeah, what is Apple's incentive? I mean, it's great, right? Largest app store in the world. It's probably one of their biggest uh, generators of revenue. And now are you telling me I could um, I could download apps in this uh, metaverse and I could build an, an app store and transact outside of Apple's ecosystem? Why would Apple be interested in standing up such a, a such a such a, a, a technology? I mean, that is really the challenge to think about for uh, early pioneers in this space. It's they're going to there's going to be so much disruption to the status quo that um, the people with the scale, the people with the finances um, to be able to build this thing out are gonna gonna have a dilemma on their hands. Yeah, I know. Um, I think it's less of what Apple's doing, and I'm seeing some stuff with you know Elon Musk's uh, takeover of Twitter, and his his concern that they may remove Twitter from the Apple Store. So it seems to me that companies that get removed from the Apple Store may need to look towards a decentralized uh, solution in order to not be banned. So I think it's less about what larger companies are doing and more about wanting to maintain our freedom of speech, you know, through decentralization um, within means, of course. But, um, yeah, <laughs> large companies, they're going to probably get on board, but it's such a, like, they're behemoths, right? It, they move like a oil tanker it takes them three you know, three to ten years to turn yeah but you know what, what what's so interesting and, and what i want to posit is that although big companies are behemoths and they take a very long time to turn like the titanic they all are they follow suit right so let's say they they don't necessarily want to be the first mover but they move very quickly once the first person moves yeah. So the, the idea that Musk and Twitter might be thinking about this also causes a lot of boardrooms and leadership rooms to start thinking about it as well. And although they may not be public about what their exit strategy might be, because they definitely don't want to poke that bear called Apple, they certainly are thinking about what's our exit strategy if we do one day get deleted, right? Um, 
but but I think one of the the instances of a company that seemed to be moving very aggressively in this direction uh, is is still but was more prominently uh, Facebook, right? And Mark Zuckerberg and how much he was committed to this. But then the market kind of told him, "Hey, Mark." Uh, we're, we're, we have a say too. We are shareholders. This is a publicly traded company. The kind of investments that you're talking about are not going to provide us the short-term returns we need. So what were your thoughts or what are your thoughts on some of those companies who, be, who would be willing to make those investments and the market's expectation in terms of short-term returns? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if anybody remembers, but um, Zuckerberg's been trying to get into this stuff for a while. I remember in 2018, he rolled out something called DM, which was later uh, re rebranded to Libra. And I think you had David Marcus at the helm, really smart proponent of, of the space. And they took it to Congress and Congress was like, no, you cannot create a stable coin um, because it created a slippery slope where if large companies have started creating their own cryptocurrencies, Apple coin, and then you have Amazon coin, and then you have like all these federated uh, coins that are just, it's, it, it didn't make sense, I think. And so they kind of pivoted from that pretty quickly. Um, at about the same time, I think he was like, well, if I can't do crypto, I want to do this 3D meeting space called Metaverse, right? I want it 3D. Um, it's, I think he's going to, I hope they stay with it. The short-term returns are obviously not there. We've seen in the meta price of their shares, um, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see where how long it takes for them to build a viable product um, and how much money they're going to lose over time because of that. Um, but I believe in what they're doing. I just don't think it's necessarily for me. Um, I, and then again, I may end up using Horizon World at some point. Um, I don't have anything against it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. just, it's not where, like, it's the, the artists and creatives are always the first ones to move in. And we're the ones that create, like, cool spaces that people want to hang out in, right? And then everyone's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then someone else, I imagine, will probably come along. Like, I'm thinking even Unreal Engine. Um, you know, I've used Unreal Engine. It's a 3D game-making tool. And... I, I can imagine them even creating a metaverse that just gets huge, that just blows up. Everybody loves it. Um, it seems to be looking at, you know, the past and how MySpace evolved and then Facebook evolved. And then, you know, it seems to me that some other incumbent might come in and take market share. Um, but I, I still think Meta's, I think, honestly, they're probably going to uh, pivot more to hardware is my view. Yeah, before we go to break, uh, we, I, you know, I have a better, a much better understanding, Ryan, and thank you so much for breaking this down for me. But now I have my wallet, I have my address, which is basically my username, and I have my key, which is my password, unlocks this platform. Now I could uh, uh, engage in the, in the metaverse. But last question before the break, um, uh, devices for access, right? So I could access it from my smartphone. Is, are we laptop only? How do we get into this to start engaging? Um. In the end, so, yeah, it's mostly web-based, so mm -hmm. mostly through a computer. The problem is um, some of these take a lot of graphics processing, so 
having a GPU kind of helps if you're like it, like a gamer. If you play games with your computer, um, like a GPU is like a graphics card, and that'll help you, you know, get in a little better. Um, mobile phone, not so much. I don't think it's quite built for that yet. So. Yeah. So Web One again, it, it feels very much like it's cyclical at this point in terms of yeah. uh, the, the movement of technology. We're back to browser-based, computer-based, chewing up lots of memory, kind of that like early phases, and then we're going to go through the app revolution where now the entire metaverse is going to be apps and things like that. So I, I really see like, hey, we've been here before, uh, and, it, and it feels like uh, we're going through another cycle again. All right, Ryan, hang on, man. We're going to take another final break. We'll be right back, folks. Thank you for hanging in there with us. Uh, we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Book and Street. Book and Street provides finance and accounting solutions for startups in the Midwest and beyond. From strategic financial support to bookkeeping and everything in between, they've got your back office covered. Let their experienced team of finance and accounting professionals help your startup get it right, right from the start. Learn more at bookandandstreet.com and set up your free 30-minute consultation with their team today. Today's episode is sponsored by the City of Dublin's Division of Economic Development. The City of Dublin provides world-class, tailored business services and resources to ensure the best possible environment for businesses to recruit talent and thrive. Because of this strategic focus and commitment to employer growth, Dublin is the only accredited economic development organization in the state of Ohio. The City of Dublin supports startups and entrepreneurs by offering targeted resources and training programs to grow companies that are financially sustainable innovative, and committed to creating jobs. Learn how other businesses depend on Dublin. Visit thriveindublinohio.com. 614 Startups Nation, we are back for our final segment with Ryan Hale. We're deep in the metaverse now, people. Is this even 2D anymore? No, we're deep in the metaverse. 614 Startups is now officially in the metaverse. Okay, now that we're in the metaverse, let's talk about opportunities in the metaverse because founders that might be for the first time kind of getting an emerging understanding of what is possible. What, what are some of the opportunities in the metaverse for founders out there who want to be disruptive, who want to be part of this movement? That's a great question, Elio. Um, it's, it's something we've been looking to uh, explore a little bit more as well. Um, a big giant opportunity is education of the, these aspects. So a lot of people were not becoming educated on the fact that they can custody their own cryptocurrency, which is to mean you have your own wallet and you control the keys. That way no one else can spend the units besides you. And I think the problem is too many people didn't realize that this is the basis of this movement is that self-custody, not your keys, not your coins, has been a, you know, call a calling card of the the crypto uh, the people in the past because we've all lost from an exchange. Anybody, I can't. I've never met someone that had money on an exchange that didn't lose some. I even lost some recently, um, and that was my fault. Um, education is going to be going forward one of the main things that needs to be addressed um, because there's just too many people losing money. Um, and not because of the value of the asset, again, 
it's because of shady characters that come into any new technology anytime something's invented. It's just human nature to do that. Um, another thing that I'm extremely interested in is authentication methods. Um, remember earlier in the segment, we talked about um, logging into Google and Facebook and you have 18 billion passwords. How many times a week do you look up and get a password reset? Because you're on this website, you have no idea. It is, it's not the worst thing ever. It's not like a giant pain, but it can be a pain, right? Like I know I've tried to get passwords set up and I had to go through five steps to get them back. Okay. Um, so this new technology I'm researching called uh, Sign In With Ethereum or Siwi. Um, it's basically like you, like remember we discussed our wallet is your signature. You use that wallet to sign in to a website. And there's no, you don't need to add a username. You don't need a password. It's just you sign the document um, that says, are you who you say you are? And it logs it. So authentication methods are, I think, a big foundation of Web3. And we're just starting to build these right now. I've been talking to a developer in Brooklyn um, for a company called Spruce.io, I believe, that's Spruce.xyz. Anyway, um, they are working on these tools now, and I'm digging into the code. I, you know, just started last night digging into this code. Basically, as a web developer, what it allows you to do is um, create that sign-in with Ethereum authentication method. So people can, and it, it's persistent too. So uh, it remembers your data when you come back, just like any other thing, just like any other authentication method. So to me, that's going to be big. Um, the thing that's attached to it, so we discussed wallets. And so you can have multiple wallets. Let's say I have 20 wallets, right? There's something else that was invented several years ago, and it's a series of smart contracts. It's called Ethereum Naming Service. Now, I've been big in Ethereum naming service for several years. And what it does is the way DNS works uh, well, for web, this works for Ethereum addresses. So an IP address, when you go to a website, it's 92.0.5. And it's just a string of characters. Well, in the web world, uh, 614startups.com is actually 9.2.5.61. It's a, it's a string of numbers. Right? So we understand domain naming service, but Ethereum naming service does essentially the same thing for a wallet address. So your wallet address is 0x9b25, blah, 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 blah. So it's a lot of characters. I condense it down to ryanhale.eth. And then so I have ryanhale.eth as my top level domain, and that points to one wallet. I have 001.ryanhale.eth, and that's a different wallet. And that's for like my degenerate place. Like I want to click on stuff and I don't have anything in there. And I don't care. I'll just click on stuff. If it gets drained, it gets drained. And then I have 002 and so on. And then I can create subdomains off my top level Ethereum name. And then I could sign into websites as any one of those wallets, depending on what assets I had on them. Mm. So mm. I don't want to use RyanHill.eth to sign into something that might be kind of sketchy. Because let's say I have like 100 ETH on there and I got a bunch of NFTs and all this stuff, and I don't want to lose it because there's ways that hackers can, can drain those wallets. So you want to be careful when you click on things because people are smart. They're just smart. Um, 
So yeah, you. So I mean, so you can be a user, right? And and that that's great. You could be a creator within the space, but you can also be a structural engineer and infrastructure builder, meaning you could build the, the components that are necessary for this whole thing to work and work better. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is the custody issue, right? And not your wallet, not your coin, right? A lot keys, of opportunity, not, your, coin. not yep. your keys, not your coin, right? Mm-hmm. That's a big opportunity. Authentication, like, you know, the, the million passwords that we all have and, and, and single sign on using uh, this and, and how to secure that and the risks to that. So you have to make sure that it, um, hacking would be, um, uh, 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 you know, a very, very low probability. But then also what you just talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, which is the naming of things, right? If, if every, if I had to find Ryan Hale in the metaverse and it was 78 characters long to find where you are right now, that would be a problematic. But if you had a domain that was just as secure or backed up by this string of numbers, that is another opportunity to have some kind of registry. Well, with all of these opportunities, right? Like with all new technologies, there are ample opportunities. What are the things that you're working on right now? And what's next for you in this space? So uh, my business partner, Ben Horning and I have been working on a project that we like to call, it's called Art or Die. And D-A-I is how the die works. So die is a stable coin that runs on Ethereum. It's pegged, soft peg to a dollar. Um, so we run these weekly. These are our content. This is the content we make every week. We find two artists, we put them up in the gallery, and then people come in and vote as to which one they like. So we created a novel voting system using Indecentraland. So you have to be in Metaverse, and you have to show up at Monday at 6 p.m. to coordinates 38103. <laughs> and um, there's something also called POAP, which is really interesting tech as well. It's built on a sidechain of Ethereum. So think of it as like running on Ethereum, but running side next to it. It doesn't, you can transfer onto Ethereum or onto the side chain. Um, anyway, so POAP is proof of attendance tokens. And these are wickedly rad. I love them. Um, you get an art piece and it's a token for, for just attending something. So people have these like massive collections of POAPs now. And so when you vote in our, in our art or die battle, uh, you get a POAP right now. It's, they're hard to get. Um, the POAP people, they curate these things. And they, they make it hard sometimes, so we don't always get them. But um, so that's what we're working on, Art or Die, and we're trying to figure out how to do it on a 2D website as well. We started out building it in the metaverse. Now we're doing it in 2D, um, and we're going to start probably using um, – so we use, like, different – like like JavaScript and ExpressJS, we're using different like, softwares that we develop. We don't have any developers, we do it ourselves. Um, and uh, we're working on the sign-in with ETH stuff. So we're trying to figure out how to um, offer that as a service, authentication as a service, right? So if you're a web developer and you wanna have the option for sign-in with Ethereum, uh, how do you do it? Uh, you could contact us and we'll consult and help you put it into your website. Um, it's just Ethereum just is a really nice technology for understanding that it has a money layer already built on it. Um, 
Another thing we're talking about is, uh, well, we have a portfolio of ENS names, right? And we want to use them. So like, for instance, one of them is, uh, let's just say I, I own heavenly.eth. So it's a great, great clean name, right? Heavenly, awesome name. Um, what we want to do is we want to create a brand around that name that we can send out NFTs to our to our, um, to our community and our fans, right? So like we built a brand, heavenly.eth. Well, when you, get a, when you get an NFT, how do you know it's real? You can go online onto what something called Etherscan, which shows you all the blockchain transactions for Ethereum. So you can literally track where this NFT came from. If it didn't come from heavenly.eth, it's a scam, it's a fake, right? So you can use the ENS name to authenticate. You can use it as an infrastructure for uh, for accounting. Um, it, the uses are like really, really growing. Um, so ENS and uh, sign in with Ethereum authentication are two things that work together. So we're building products on those two it's layer tech, tech layers, tech stacks. Yeah. So. That's awesome, man. Ryan, we're going to be checking in with you for regular, regular updates on what's happening inside of the metaverse, cool technologies, cool solutions, cool people, right? Cool projects, like what's going on in a Decentraland, right? You're going to be our correspondent yeah. on, the, uh, on the front lines of Decentraland, letting us know what's happening and what we should be paying attention to, right? Like many people regret not paying attention to Bitcoin in 2008. Uh, we don't want to miss what's happening in the metaverse in 2022 because it feels very much like it's going to be the future. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on another fantastic episode of the 614 Startups podcast. Until next time, peace. That's a wrap, folks. You can find this in all our episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. If you'd like updates sent directly to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 614startups on all platforms and join the conversation. For sponsorship opportunities and collaborations, email us at info at 614startups.com.